Welcome to episode 36 of the Internew Energy Transition podcast. Today it's about how to accelerate the energy transition in Switzerland. And I'm joined by two guests. And that's first, Dr. Leonor Helk from the Swiss Energy Foundation. And that's second, Dr. Florian Egli from ETH Zurich. So let's go. Switzerland has reached its goal, um, but they were very low. And it was basically possible to reach them with rooftop PV, um, which Switzerland has done, um, mainly for self-consumption. Welcome to episode 36 of the Antenna Energy Transition podcast. I'm really happy to have two amazing guests today. We're going to talk about how to accelerate the energy transition in Switzerland. You know that I want to have this podcast in order to really shed some light on the different challenges that we have in many different countries in Europe. And today it's Switzerland and I'm joined by two really cool guests. And the first guest is Leonore Helg. She works at the Swiss Energy Foundation and she co-leads the Department of Climate and Renewable Energies um, and um, the Swiss Energy Foundation, what it basically does is to inform and educate the, the wider public and policy actors. And second, we have Florian uh, Egli, who is a senior researcher and lecturer in the Energy Technology Policy Group at EDH Zurich. And he focuses on financing the energy transition and the political economy around it. And he's also an elected executive board member to the Swiss Young Academy. So welcome both. Hi, Leonor. Thanks for joining. Hi, Julius. Thanks for having me. Yes. And hi, Florian. How's it going? Hello. Great. Please, please to be here. <laughs> that sounds good. Cool. We'll dive in, in in a second into this podcast and we're going to talk about, okay, uh, how is the energy sector actually structured in Switzerland? What are the challenges right now in this winter, but also what are the challenges, maybe the larger challenges and what maybe has been done or was had, has not been done in the last years and what really, yeah, um, is accumulating to be major, yeah, major, yeah, major challenges really in Switzerland right now. And then obviously we're also going to look at the future. So what needs to happen in order to really accelerate the energy transition in Switzerland? But before we dive into all these these very topical things, I would love to give Leonore and uh, Florian the opportunity to introduce themselves. So Leonore, give us eight sentences of who you are and what made you the person you are right now. Well, that's a, a difficult question. <laughs> so uh, my name is Leonore. I am from Switzerland, obviously. Um, I did first some studies in chemistry, started off with chemistry, turned to chemical engineering, realized that... Um, Engineering isn't really my thing. Um, did some energy uh, science and technology uh, masters at ETH and then realized, hey, economics, which I did a lot then, is also not my thing and ended up doing a PhD in energy politics. Um, and now I'm working for this foundation where we are an NGO um, trying to uh, push for policies within the Swiss parliament, but also within the public at that yeah, that support renewable energies, that um, increase the deployment of renewable energies in Switzerland. Um, what made me the person that I am today? I don't know. I was always just interested in a lot of different things and uh, realized that this is where I can have an impact, I guess. Sounds good. Amazing. And Leonore was is here because I was in recent contact with Florian. Florian said, we have to have Leonore on board. So, but Florian, who are you? 
Yes, um, so my name is Florian. I'm an economist by training and I'm, I'm still stuck with economics. So <laughs> I have uh, more, more perseverance than, uh, than Leo, it seems. The perseverance uh, people. So oh, I'm, a, okay. I'm a senior researcher, as you said, at ETH Zurich. Um, uh, basically, a lot of my research focuses around how to finance climate and energy transitions more more globally, actually, not not exclusively in Switzerland, of course. Um, ETH is a technical university with a global focus. Um, so we do a lot of studies on, uh, you know, European countries, OECD countries, but also um, sub-Saharan Africa. So really um, across the world, I'm trying to understand um, climate and energy transitions from an interdisciplinary perspective. How did I land here? I mean, um, I always tell the story that um, as a kid, I liked reading the news and I, I read the newspaper and I always read two um, parts of the newspaper, the sports part um, and the international affairs part. So I could have become a, a competitive sportsman or <laughs> an international affairs person. The first didn't work out, so the second it is. Um, so I was always interested in understanding kind of the, the global, you know, um, the global interconnections um, and the economics around that. And I think working on climate change um, gives me personally the opportunity to work on on kind of the biggest challenge I think of our generation um, which which is you know frustrating and satisfying at the same time um, yeah and I also do quite a bit of um, work in the political arena but maybe we get to speak about that later on sounds cool yeah no thanks for uh, thanks for in introducing yourselves uh, Leonora and Florian um, and I think we have a really cool match uh, with the two of you to work uh, on this topic today or like talk about this topic today so we start with Leonore Leo Leon, Leon, Leonor. You can also uh, say Leo, it's fine. That's actually how people call me. That's way me. easier. <laughs> <laughs> I just heard Florian saying that three times and I, okay, okay, Leo. <laughs> okay, Leo, can you paint us a big picture? Um, where, How is the energy sector structured in Switzerland? What are the challenges? Where, where are we right now? Tell us the story of Switzerland. Yes, what is the story of Switzerland? So uh, Switzerland doesn't really have a lot of um, own resources besides hydro and obviously uh, some wind and some solar resources. Um, so we import a lot of energy from uh, abroad, mainly because we still use a lot of fossil fuels. So um, we use approximately 60% of fossil fuels. This includes um, methane and obviously oil and whatever products um, are made out of it. Um, we use roughly a quarter of our energy uses electricity and the rest, 15%, is others like ambient heat, wood, and stuff like that. The electricity um, is, um, to a great extent, produced in Switzerland. We have an almost CO2-free electricity mix uh, with roughly 60% hydro, uh, to a little bit more than 25%, maybe 30% of nuclear, depending on the year, and some new renewables, but the new renewable share is still quite low. We are obviously in the middle of Europe. We are interconnected with our neighboring countries. We uh, trade a lot of electricity. Um, interestingly, we um, usually import a lot of electricity in the winter because hydro doesn't produce a lot during the winter because all the precipitation um, sits on the mountains in the form of snow and doesn't flow down in the rivers. Um, and we do export a lot during the summertime. Yeah, you export. Where do you export to? Because I read something about France. Is that the main country where it goes? Well, we do export a lot to Italy, 
um, but also because Germany exports a lot of a lot into Italy, and we are obviously in the middle. So, <laughs> so we have a quite a big inflow of electricity also in the summer from neighboring countries that then goes uh, through Switzerland into other countries. Um, Italy is a big um, importer of electricity from Switzerland in the summer, but uh, we do have agreements with French nuclear power plants. Um, those obviously produce power most of the time, like quite in a stable way, let's say. So they produce a lot of um, electricity that is not being used um, during during the night and um, the electricity is usually used during the day. And we are basically the storage um, country for the French nuclear power fleet. So we have a lot of uh, pumped hydro storage um, that is used currently still to store uh, French nuclear power during the night and then produce electricity during the day. Yeah, cool. Sounds gives a good, good overview. Let's maybe jump into more into the sector. So let's maybe have a little chat about uh, about uh, mobility. Let's have a little chat about heat. Let's have a little bit chat about like economic activity in in in, uh, in Switzerland. Florian, maybe maybe just a quick remark before we we get there because there's one story about Switzerland that I always like to tell. Um, so Switzerland in in electricity used to be really the pioneer, right? So um, in 1879, um, the first electric light um, um, appeared in Switzerland in Saint Moritz, um, famous winter resort, at the Kulm Hotel, right? So for the the elite of Europe, um, and that was super early um, globally. And I just checked this before, so until um, 1910, Switzerland had the highest electricity production per capita globally, right? Um, so it was really at the forefront of electrifying and it kind of went through with this afterwards um, with the railway expansion. And as Leo has um, explained, like the, topo the topography of Switzerland was really helpful in that, right? Because we have um, these mountains, so it's basically an alpine country, right? Um, and so what is now pumped hydro storage back in the early days was, you know, um, the, the gradient basically to, to, produce, to produce electricity um, um, from, from hydro, right? Um, and so that's, that's just, I think, an important remark to keep in mind um, when you talk about Switzerland that this is this is a country that is actually set up to produce electricity in a way um, and set up to produce electricity in a very low carbon way um, and it's also a nice story to tell you um, that you know um, why shouldn't this country be at the forefront again of the next um, electricity transformation the transformation to new renewables so-called like to solar and wind which it really isn't and we'll get to that right um, but it's just to exemplify that point that you know there's no structural factor for this and and Switzerland has led this transition a hundred years ago, um, and there is really not, um, you know, a big structural reason why it shouldn't do so again. Um, of course, all of that, um, knowing that Switzerland is a small country, it won't change the world. But still, you know, it, it has this potential to, I think, speed up transitions. Um, by leading by example. So that was my, my bracket. I, I thought this bracket is important before going into more sectoral dynamics, um, just to set the scene a bit for Switzerland. Totally, man. It's, I, I appreciate that you actually make this point because these, these, com these countries that we talk about in Central Europe, you know, Switzerland, but also Austria, Germany, Norway, where I live, it's like these countries are very affluent countries. And if we don't manage it, like who is supposed to manage it? <laughs> yeah, precisely. It? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Um, we go in in a second what i just suggested before but you talk now about 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 hydro as well and obviously since there's a lot of mountains in 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 um in switzerland there is 
probably or there uh, there's a lot of opportunity to use that for for electricity production but can you just give me an idea of how much potential there still is or is most of the potential actually being used and this there can't really be anything else deployed well Leonora. there is still a small potential but um we also have higher ecological standards so um we actually think that in the future we will maybe build some more hydropower plants we will for sure um, increase the storage capacity of the of the hydro lakes um, but the the increase in production that will result from that will probably um, be um, reduced again by um, increased ecological standards like more water that has to flow down the rivers instead of going through the power plants in order for um, ecosystems, aquatic ecosystems to have a chance to revive. Totally. Yeah. And that's always this, this, this trade-off. And I guess wherever we think about energy infrastructure, it's always, there's always this trade-off, like, do we want to do more of this or not? And what implications does it have on the local, on the local nature? So let's go, let's go into, into uh, maybe at, at first heat and heat is, is, and I'm, I'm actually what I'm, what I'd like to talk about you is, is buildings. So can you tell me how are buildings really supplied in Switzerland? Um, Buildings in Switzerland are um, mainly heated by fossil fuels still. Um, Switzerland is actually the highest um, oil-consuming country for heating purposes per capita. So we have a really high um, share of oil-fueled uh, heating systems, gas also, especially in the cities where we have uh, natural gas networks. Um, the heat pump... Um, and also district heating um, systems are being deployed more and more, especially also since uh, this, uh, this February when, when Russia invaded Ukraine. Um, but still we have um, a renewal rate of fossil-fueled heating system of more than a third. So we are still um, in installing a lot of uh, fossil-fueled heating systems, which will run obviously for 20 or 25 more years. Yeah, and there will come later on as well to the incentive mechanisms that maybe still like prolong this this kind of process, which is kind of interesting that still in 2020 we, we are doing this, not just in Switzerland, but also it happens in, in, in Germany, which is crazy. Um, as you just said, Leonora, that um, these these kind of infrastructures will remain for 20, 25 years and then it's almost 2050. Um, uh, what about what about transport? Um, no, uh, Switzerland is very hailed for, for their very nice open public uh, transport systems. Um, but yet there's a lot of road transport as well. And so I was wondering, like, how, how is that? Um, how many electric cars are there? Like, you don't have to give me numbers, but like, is there something happening or is that process being really slow? The process, well, there is something happening, obviously, but the process is still very slow. We had um, in the last year, we had um, quite a big share of uh, electric vehicles being bought. Um, the problem in Switzerland is, um, well, we have two problems. The first problem is that um, we're quite spread out. So where we can't, we, we have a lot of mountains, but we also have plains and the plains are basically full of houses. So um, when national roads, um, highways were built and there was actually an incentive to um, live at some place and work somewhere else. So um, transport is very important in Switzerland. We have a really good public transport system, but transport is also in very high demand. That's why we have a lot of um, personal vehicles as well. Um, 
Second problem is um, Swiss people like new cars and Swiss people like big cars. Um, so we, we do have restrictions on uh, the emissions that fleets, in, fleets imported into Switzerland should have, um, but we never managed to meet these standards because if the listeners, if one of some of the listeners have ever been to Switzerland, you probably realize that the cars are big and they are very new. And this is why a lot of energy is actually used in the mobility sector. I think that's a huge problem that you're pointing out here that, that you know, that, I mean, I think the transition to electric vehicles will really pick up speed um, a lot in Switzerland. So even last year in 2021, the most sold car in Switzerland was Tesla Model 3. Um, fully EV, of course. Um, um, and so I think that that we'll see that, you know, um, continuing and, and accelerating. So I would expect, you know, we're not where Norway is, of course, but, um, you know, I think um, Switzerland will, will kind of be on a similar trajectory very soon, I would assume, in terms of transitioning to electric vehicles. But the problem is, what electric vehicles are you transitioning to, right? Um, and so, of course, we know that electric, electric vehicles are, are way more energy and um, effective, um, than um than internal combustion engine cars um but then um you know you you're kind of destroying part of that efficiency gains if you're actually upgrading in terms of in terms of weight and in terms of size of your cars and that's what we're seeing a lot in switzerland um and and that quite ironically that's also what we're seeing in terms of strategy by the big car manufacturers right that um that we're seeing a phase out of small cars because the batteries are actually too expensive to make a profit or to turn a profit on cars like a like a fiat uh, cinquecento like a fiat 500 um so the electric version of that is not going very well and actually is not turning in a big profit and car makers have realized that they have to shift to larger vehicles and switzerland is the perfect market for that so there is a problem there i think um in in swiss people you know um buying I mean, new cars very often, but then also upgrading in terms of size and weight of their cars quite often. Yeah, tricky, tricky situation. Is there is uh, is there direct financial incentives for buying electric cars in in Switzerland? It depends, right? Um, it depends. So, I mean, the first particularity about Switzerland is, um, I mean, the, the, one of the biggest incentives to buy an electric car is the is the difference um, in the price of electricity versus. Um, the gas that you that you use for for your old combustion engine car, right? And Switzerland has about 600 um, different municipal utilities, and they all have their own um, pricing structures. So depending on where you live, um, it actually makes a huge difference whether it makes sense or not to buy an electric car. And we recently looked at this. Uh, you can it's very it's open source. So there's a map of Switzerland, and you see like you know differently colored maps depending on where you live, what the electricity tariff is. And there is literally a place in Switzerland. Um, in the east, where um, the electricity tariff is zero, so you get electricity completely for free. Um, whereas there are other um, um, places where, of course, um, it's quite expensive. So that's the biggest, you know, in terms of incentives, um, incentive or not to buy to buy an electric an electric vehicle. And then there's also cantonal support schemes, um, which again differ. Um, depending on where you live. Um, so it's it's quite an it's quite a difficult landscape, so to say, to navigate um, for 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 consumers. Well, how can it be that electricity is for free in some places in the East? Is that because it's a lot of hydro there or one wind farm? It's actually not for free, but um, you'd still pay grid charges and stuff. But the energy yeah, price true. is for free. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, when you have um, local production um, and especially if you produce hydropower, it's mainly hydropower usually. If you produce hydro more hydropower than your municipality uses and you sell it or it is used elsewhere, you, you actually 
um, are paid for the water used by other people in your municipality. And this is how um, some municipalities manage to have very low prices. Yeah, kind of interesting. We have similar phenomena in, in Norway when there's a lot of rain coming down, a lot of hydro. Um, but it's interesting. I didn't know that there will be anywhere in Central Europe as well. But that's kind <laughs> of interesting to see. Um, Florian, take me to to maybe a, like draw me the picture of how uh, how energy intensive actually Swiss economy is. It's like like what do the Swiss people do? I know it's about healthcare and it's some some chemicals, but like what, what like you know we talked about heating, we talked about houses, and now a bit of traffic to just give draw the big picture but can you give us an idea of like how how, how swiss people make money and what kind of the industries are that are really uh, being in the forefront in switzerland yeah sure i mean so the the swiss economy um i mean is is kind of shaped by the fact that um salaries are very high so whatever is labor intensive is typically not happening in switzerland so um you see an economy an economic structure that is uh, very much um um you know automatized so we have a lot of automation you have um a lot of um high value um and high added value industries um and so that you know goes along to say that energy intensity um, per um, GDP has declined quite drastically in Switzerland. So it has declined by about 40% since 1990. Um, so basically the, the GDP or economic activity grew faster than, um, than energy, energy use did, and therefore the energy intensity declined. Um, and the, result, um, the resulting structure of that is that um, if you look at primary and secondary sectors, that about 30% of the Swiss economy um, is in the primary sector. So in, in construction is a big part of that, um, um, but also um, um, basically uh, producing industry. So a lot of, um, how to say, like a lot of, you know, very, very, um, let's say, specialized detailed um, components um, to input in, into global value chains are still manufactured in Switzerland and some SMEs um, that have a couple of hundred or thousand employees. So there's quite a bit of that. Um, but then about SME 70 stands for what is it? small Just, and medium enterprises. For? Yes. Yeah, here we go. Thanks. Exactly. So, <laughs> so typically smaller companies and about 70% is in the secondary sector. So that's where the bulk of the Swiss economy is finance, insurance, trade, um, pharmaceutical industry. Um, so, um, I mean, pharmaceutical is kind of like, it's a bit of both, um, but, but a lot of services as well. So not really, you know, the energy intensive production. So, um, all of that to say that, you know, there isn't that much heavy industry left, um, in Switzerland. Um, but what's interesting, you know, to, to circle, make the circle to to emissions because that's you know usually tied to to energy use um so the producing emissions so the emissions that occur on the territory of switzerland have declined quite steadily um, since the 1990s the consumption emissions of swiss people if you look at what they you know what they what emissions they cause by the consumption decisions they make be it here or in vietnam or in china or wherever the goods are produced that we're using um have actually increased quite drastically over the same um period of time so you see that the 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 industry you could say or the economy is deindustrializing but the consumption patterns don't go along with that of course the the, um, the foreign emissions of swiss people are actually double the emissions within the swiss boundary so um we emit quite a lot by importing goods from other countries. 
which is kind of an interesting way of seeing it, isn't it? Like one could say, okay, everything is going well in Switzerland. We're decreasing the emissions, but actually, when you, you look at all these like gray gray emissions that are in products, um, it it paints a different picture. And I, I'm I'm very happy that you actually pointed this out because it's so easy in a podcast to say everything is great, everything is great, and it's not necessarily great. So so thanks for 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 this uh, detail um, to add here. So now we painted like the big picture, and obviously we could go way deeper, and we're just not going to do this. Um, so people if you're listening to this and you're interested um, find it online there's way more but I would love to talk to uh, Florian and Leo now about um, the current challenges right now and then in the next step we talk about the general challenges with the, the energy transition in Switzerland so uh, maybe I don't know whom, whom of you would like to start but can you give us an idea of like now with the invasion of uh, the Russian invasion in Ukraine we have an electricity prices we have high fossil fuel prices um, and what I hear is that there is has been a lot of discussions going on in Switzerland and also some decisions were taken so um, who wants to who wants to go on that Leo do you want to start or Florian sure sure I can Leo start starts. okay so, Leo please um, go ahead I'm not sure if, if it has been clear to the listeners that in the past, not a lot has been done um, regarding, for example, renewable energy deployment um, in Switzerland, um, regarding new renewable energies, obviously, um, hydro is... Apart exactly. from hydro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, the, I mean, the famous, the, the example that Switzerland is famous for is, I think, the longest still in permitting process wind farm in Europe. Um, so it's been in the process for 20 years. I mean, I, I that's think something to be proud there's of. a record that's there. That's something to be proud of. <laughs> exactly. But um, since the Ukraine war, and also actually since a little bit before, um, people have realized, or politicians especially also have, have realized, that we have a problem and that we actually have to act on that. So um, a lot has been happening. Um, first of all, uh, people are very afraid of blackouts in this winter. So that's the, the security of supply of electricity and gas isn't given. Gas, obviously, because we, we use a lot of gas still for heating, but also in the industry. So this is very important, even though we don't have our own gas power plants and electricity just in general, because, you know, in Europe we have... Um, uh, the security of uh, electricity supply for the next winter isn't given um, because of the Fran French nuclear fleet being um, down <laughs> or partially being down and uh, the, the gas um, gas shortages for gas-powered um, power plants. Um, but just one question so that you said, there is no gas power plant in Switzerland, but there's probably some around it, I don't know, southern Germany, Italy, France, that then produce electricity that's then being imported to Switzerland. Do I understand that correctly? Or Well, as I, as I said, Switzerland is very interconnected in terms of electricity. And also we um, generally have um, a shortage of electricity production within the country um, in the end of the winter. So February, especially also March and partially April. This is when the storage lakes are depleted and um, the, the, the run of river power plants and also the, the, the few PV plants we have haven't really started uh, producing again. Um, so we are generally net importers during the winter because also um, consumption is higher during the winter for heating purposes and whatever lighting stuff. Um, so generally already um, Switzerland has always had um, not problems of supply, but uh, a, a more 
strained supply structure during the winter. And now with the Ukraine war, this has obviously become more um, pertinent. Um, so uh, the politicians have realized that uh, there is there might be a problem. Um, and they have taken action. Um, some say it's not very useful. Others say it's very useful. So first of all, they have in a very um, shortcut way um, in the Swiss parliament in September decided to, um, on the one hand, permit, but also financially support um, PV power plants in open space in the mountainous areas. Um, mountainous areas are interesting because they have a higher solar irradiation in the winter than um, the plains, for example, where we have a lot of fog stuff during the winter. But, but like, talk to me about that. If, if you have, if you have uh, utility scale solar in the mountains, sounds as if there's going to be a lot of snow on them. Is that like, is that a business model? Does that work? Or do then people need to run around and like take the snow off and like, you know, which Switzerland is pretty much famous for? Or? <laughs> no, it actually, it, it, it works quite well because um, if you optimize for winter production, you put them up quite uh, in a quite steep way, so 75 degrees or 90 degrees, um, to profit also uh, from the reflection of the, the solar irradiation on the snow. Um, and also because the sun doesn't go up that high, um, it actually makes sense to have them in a quite steep way, and then the snow doesn't stick, it actually just slides down. Um, so um, there has been this, this, this action on, on solar P, alpine solar PV on the one hand side, and um, on the other hand, uh, they have um, introduced um, a mandatory regime for, to, to, to um, install PV on roofs of newly built large buildings. However, there's not that many buildings built every year. So this is not going to make a big difference. And also what is interesting, so they have done that in a very shortcut way, saying it's very urgent. However, it like you can't put up an Alpine solar PV plant now and have it running by, well, before the snow comes. So this is actually for the next few years. Um, however, on the, on, on, on the other hand side, there actually have been um, investments in fossil fueled backup power plants um, that have also been permitted in a very shortcut way. Um, also, the emissions, what is being done with the emissions there hasn't been uh, really solved. Um, also, it's not clear if more capacity should be auctioned, is needed, and so on. And finally, there has been an auction for a hydropower reserve, so hydropower Plant owners have um, been paid um, in order to actually keep the water in the storage lake in, um, instead of selling it on the on the spot market. Um, okay, and, and and these these measures, like for example, these storage measures and all, all this new what do you said? It was a, a petroleum plant. It actually, will, will that be burns, sufficing? It burns both. Um, it burns uh, natural gas and and oil. Sorry, what was your question? <laughs> yeah, will that now be enough to bring Switzerland through well, the winter? Well, we don't know. So there's different factors that will uh, that will uh, that have an impact on on the security of supply. There's first of all how cold the winter will get, the demand within Switzerland, and um, how much uh, rain there will still be. Um, 
now and during the winter um, of what's going on in the rest of Europe with uh, the, the nuclear power plants in France, with the gas supply, with the gas power production also in, in Germany and so on. So we don't really know. What, all that we know is that um, not a lot has been invested in the past um, in, in building more renewable energy plants. And now suddenly there's a lot of money being invested in short-term measures to secure the, the, the security of supply. Yeah, I think what we would, I mean, what we can say for the winter is that if something happens, gas will be first. So I think gas will hit Switzerland before electricity. At least that's where a lot of commentators um, agree. Um, and and in gas, it's it's kind of it's kind of ironic because Switzerland has always um, has never really worried about gas infrastructure because we have the transit pipeline that goes through Switzerland um, and connects um, Germany and Italy, and then also France, but mainly really north south of so Germany and Italy. Um, and and so Switzerland has always been. I think ninety percent of the gas that goes through that pipeline is transit and about 10% um, is for Switzerland, so to say. And that has always been the supply zone. Switzerland has doesn't even have a gas storage. So um, we, we just basically have this transit pipeline. And then there was always kind of the backup plan um, implicitly was always like in the end, you know, we have this transit gas, so we might as well, you know, get some of that if, if kind of the worst comes to the worst. Um, and now Switzerland has tried to negotiate um, with both with Germany and with Italy um, emergency contracts. So Swiss companies have actually bought gas supplies in Germany. So they have secured gas supplies in Germany. Um, but now the Swiss government doesn't um, cannot conclude the agreements with um, with um, Germany and Italy that they will actually deliver what's in those supplies if you know um, the supply is really is really um, um, be falling below demand um, and and everybody is really surprised in Switzerland yet we've been negotiating with the European Union for the past ten to fifteen years and have kind of you know closed every door on every step to the negotiators um, from the European Union and now. Um, the political system of Switzerland is really kind of waking up and saying, oh, hey, why don't they agree to these contracts now? And and Switzerland is realizing that, you know, um, if you're not part of the bigger political deal in Europe, then you're also not part of the bigger infrastructure, um, which then means that now we're kind of starting to build some of the infrastructure that Leo has talked about, amongst which those mobile mobile gas, um, um, gas power plants that, you know, can be fueled with oil, which is the likely backup option if gas is kind of running out. Um, and, and, and which basically, you know, um, in, in complete disregard of any emission standards, um, also locally um, have, have been built now. Um, but all kind of because Switzerland has relied on this international infrastructure and has never really thought about um, what that what that means effectively. Um, and I think so. In the broader the broader pattern here is that that energy and electricity topics or heat and electricity topics have come kind of to the center stage of the political debate. And that has, on the one hand, made a lot of people realize that we're much more dependent on the countries around us than, than, than many have thought. And on the other hand, it has enabled some of the political bargaining that Leo has also talked about, um, which led to, you know, much faster permitting processes um, for, um, for large PV plants or for alpine PV plants 
prospectively it's not all set in stone yet you know there are also going to be court cases around that um which is actually which is actually a big problem because investors need certainty and already the court cases have been announced and it's kind of unclear whether the what the parliament has done will actually hold up before um, um before the highest courts in switzerland so um there is a lot of uncertainty but at least it has it has created a lot of movement in the political space i would say yeah. we um, you also mentioned before we started this recording that there will be also um, elections, general elections next year. How does that tie into into this debate about energy, the energy transition right now? Are political parties making points now that they didn't make before? And whom do we see as more as front runners? While which of the parties are maybe yeah lagging behind a bit or not really having a plan? I think the interesting um, so twenty yeah, next year next summer is going to be um, national elections. So that means that the parliament is going to be re-elected. Um, and, and so the interesting thing is that actually everything would point to a big success for the Greens, right? The Green Party. Um, so we have this this topic as kind of the attention it has never had, um, you know, climate change, uh, I think similarly. And yet we don't see a lot of um, a lot of changes. If at all, we see that the, the, the Green Party actually loses um, seats in, in the coming year. And what we've seen on the other hand is that the, the issue of energy has 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 been politicized. So the the right wing party of Switzerland um, has has really made this this rural urban divide its main kind of um, campaign topic. So um, the urban elites that you know are eat, eating into the pockets of the rural populations, and and the energy story goes along with that, right? This it's it's this um, okay. Um, why do we have to use the, the rural lands to for the PV plants to supply the electricity where the majority of that is used um, um, in in the in the urban areas? Why does driving get more expensive? Which was by the way what shot down the last big climate bill of Switzerland? This whole this only one campaign slogan of oh driving gets more expensive. Um, so we've we've really seen that um, quite successful campaigning um, on this and 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 this will 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 carry on and. And we kind of see, or I would say that a lot of the 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 tying of of you know climate and energy topics now to to security or independence of Switzerland from you know foreign countries, foreign actors, um, is actually feeding into a narrative that is that is quite nationalist and not not the typical I would say narrative of the Green Party that used to really benefit from situations where energy uh, or renewable energy topics were, were more at the center stage. Um, so also there, I think with the, with the topic becoming more popular um, and Switzerland being a multi-party democracy, actually similar to Norway in that sense, um, we've, we've seen that, that the topic is exploited by, by parties that usually haven't really cared about it at all. Well, we also, we, especially in this regard, we also see different uh, political um, uh, topics popping up. We have a we have a referendum taken by this right wing populist party against um, the net zero target, actually twenty fifty for Switzerland, um, because the bill also included some financial support to prematurely. Um, exchange fossil fuel heating systems by renewable options. Um, and they don't really have arguments, but they actually want to set the scene for next year. This is because the vote will probably take place next June and they can thereby, or they, they get um, more space in the, in the general debate. They can show that they actually um, have some plan for, for 
regarding energy and climate issues. Actually, on on heating system, it's important. It's it's important to say because um, Leo has mentioned that that um, I think we're we're the what are we the world or the European leaders on per capita oil consumption for heating? European for sure. I don't know about. Okay, so we're at least uh, we're at least we win the European championship. Um, and so another championship goes to Switzerland, not just for not, not just for the longest permitting the, the permitting process, but also for exactly this, yeah. for the most Amazing. most oil consumption for heating per capita. So the heating um, and old building regulation is cantonal. So Switzerland um, is a small country of about 8.5 million inhabitants and has 26 cantons. So we have 26 different regulations um, on building codes, on um, heating systems, on all of that. So the first canton that basically had a strict ban on oil heatings in Switzerland is Glorus, which is a very small canton. Um, oh, it's not true. No. Oh, Leo says it's not no, true. No, no, no. It's a, well, who was the first Basel canton? Was, Basel City Basel was, the, was the first canton. But was the second. Glavos is a very interesting case. They were the was second the to second? have a vote okay. on it. So it was the second. Okay. Um, and they have um, they have a, something that is called Lonsgemeinde, um, which is basically um, once a year, everybody who has a, a voting... Um, uh, how voting do you say right? That? Yeah, the yeah. voting right, but it's like an actual like piece of paper. So you have to have this piece of paper and then you're granted access by the police into the central square of Glorus where you can vote. Um, so it's direct democracy in like its its purest form. And I was there um, this year, actually this spring. Um, um, and it's super interesting because there's actual debates happening. And the interesting thing why I tell this story is because I find, you know, there's always this, 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 um, this debate, oh, this is like, you know, banning oil heating and banning fossil fuels is like such an elitist thing and it's like these climate models are so abstract and there is these scientists that tell us what to do okay but this is a canton where it's actually like purest direct democracy and they voted for it and in like a public open deliberate debate and i just find this an interesting example because a lot of other cantons um there was one that was before that which i didn't know so thanks for that but i mean there were 24 that um or potentially after that. Um, so it was among the first, um, and it was kind of the, the most direct democracy deliberation you can have. Um, and it's an interesting example because it shows that even like very, so so to say, radical um, things like banning oil heatings um, it, are possible if you're if you're living in, in democracies, right? And also we have to add that Davos is one of the most rural uh, cantons in Switzerland, quite conservative and rural. So it's yeah. very, it's a, yeah, sure. and even they made they, it happen. Yeah. yeah sure. Interesting. Tell me, it sounds a bit now as if, uh, implementing new oil infrastructure in for, for heating buildings is banned in more places than just in these two. Is that, is that the case? Is yes. how many, how, how many of these cantons in, in how many of these cantons is it now banned to build in new, um, oil, fo uh, fossil fuel, uh, heating infrastructure? Just you don't have to give me the number, but like, is it a third? Is it a half? Is it like ninety percent, or is it really just ten percent? It's three. It's three. It's three. <laughs> it's, it's three cantons. But uh, what is <laughs> what is very interesting is that the three cantons are very different. So we have the first canton to introduce it was Basel, Basel Stadt, so Basel City, which is a city canton. It's basically one city. It's very urban. Um, it's very progressive also in terms of energy policy. It's also a bit the, the playground for new ideas. Um, yeah, where, where things can be tested and also shown that, that things are possible. And um, then the, the, the next one was actually 
the first one to have a vote on it, Laros, very rural. Um, yeah, very rural. <laughs> That's all I can say about it. Very small also. And the, the third one is Zurich. Zurich is the biggest canton, with, not by size, but by population. It's also um, economically the most important canton in, in Switzerland. It includes Zurich city, the biggest city in Switzerland. Um, the canton itself is not um, known to be very progressive. Uh, the city is, or the cities are. Um, but it's a very interesting mix, which actually can have a dynamic to to push um, these building standards forward. Um, what is also what has to be said that before Zurich and Blaus um, voted on this topic, um, for a long, Basel City was the only canton um, that, that had this standard. And other cantons already um, implemented new energy laws and, and didn't dare really um, putting such a, such a high standard so to, to forbid fossil fuel um, heating systems to, to put that into the law. And now after Zurich um, and Glaus actually accepted this, it seems much more likely or it's actually... I would be surprised that any revision of a cantonal energy law is being done without such a such a um, such a standard, ban. such yeah. a ban. Exactly. So um, it's it's only three, but it's a very interesting mix, and it's a it's a very important mix also. And and I guess there, it it set in motion a dynamic that will actually not or will be difficult to 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 break. Um, which will pull other cantons into this direction. Cool, sounds good. Interesting to get a bit of the 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 the, the local the local. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know how to say this in English. Uh, local chlorite. Uh, that's the German word for local it. Local like, colors. Yeah, yeah, local colors. Maybe let's do it like that. Okay, let's let's go to the to the next stop because we are already a little bit you know on time here. Um. So so let let's chat about. Four major challenges that um, yeah the Swiss energy transition is maybe faced with, and then we'll have a look in the end, um, like what needs to happen now in order to accelerate actually the energy transition in Switzerland. So I got these four ones, and I'm just going to throw them to you, Leo, the first one, and then Florian, you just come in when you want to add to this as well. Is that all right? Sure. Cool. Yeah. Sounds good. So Leo, the first one is low or no financial incentives for um, the deployment uh, of renewable energies. Um, why is that? Why why has it taken so long? And like, is something changing there now? Yeah. So in the past, it wasn't financially interesting to to invest into renewable energies um, in Switzerland. Um, in the very beginning, when when PV or when generally a feeding tariff was introduced, it was actually interesting um, uh, for solar PV. However. Um, the funds, there were never enough funds that could actually finance all, all the installations that actually people wanted to build. Um, so in the beginning, the, the, the size of the fund was too small. And then they changed the regime and everything. And it was just not interesting um, to, to invest, especially in solar PV. So what we see now is um, we have really nice roofs with a solar PV insulation um, on them. However, the insulation only takes up, for example, 50% of the roof. Um, and the reason being that it's interesting to build a solar PV plant um, to um, self-consume the electricity. So all the insulations um, currently, or until maybe last year, were, were 
um, optimized for self-consumption um, because uh, feeding the, the electricity, the excess electricity into the grid was just not interesting. Also, what Florian already mentioned, we have 600 different um, electric utilities. So we had also almost that many different tariffs. So depending on where you live, you could actually get a little bit more or a little bit less for your um, electricity that you feed fed into the grid. So um, this was a very, um, yeah, when you looked at the map of Switzerland, it was just very sad. There was a lot of red, some green, um, and that was basically it. Um, but now there's actually stuff being done. So we have the, the, the revision of the energy law and the Electricity Supply Act is in the parliament or is going on in the parliament. Um, and this there we already have um, some signs that um, the remuneration, especially for solar PV, will increase um, by a lot in the future. So we hope that people will also cover the other 50% of their roofs with solar PV installations. Florian, you want to say something on that? Yeah, I mean, there's not much to add to this. I mean, I'm happy to add to other points, to be honest, because it was quite comprehensive. Cool. Then let's, <laughs> let's go to the, the cumbersome permit permitting process and uh, uh, props to you, Leo, to do such a good job on, uh, on talking about the financial incentives. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, should I just continue with the permitting processes? I guess that's sure, my Sure, go ahead. Too. I'll that's jump what, in here. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's what I uh, deal with in my life. Um, work life. <laughs> so, you sound a bit unhappy with that. What's going on, Leo? <laughs> well, there's things happening. Is it? Like, I'm listening to you guys and yeah, there's big challenges, but now stuff is happening. That's amazing. Yes, that's exactly. very true. That's very true. It's actually a very interesting time to be working on energy policy in Switzerland at the moment. So the permitting processes, yeah, as uh, Florian already mentioned, we have uh, wind power plants that are uh, since 20 years stuck in their permitting processes. So um, they're cumbersome for big power plants. So for especially for wind and new new hydropower or um, extensions of existing hydropower plants, um, the permitting processes are uh, very long and they have to go through many instances and there's um, the possibility for um, selected organizations to actually stop uh, or check in, I, I'd say, with the permitting processes at several instances. So um, there's a lot of court cases um, going on and um, there are ideas how to um, make these permitting processes shorter and faster and simpler also. However, um, obviously, as soon as you take out instances from permitting processes, there's authorities that will have less to say. There's organizations that have less power to actually block um, or prevent um, projects. So... The power of some people are, are reduced and this is um, met with a lot of opposition. So there are ideas and there's stuff going on. The, the corresponding minister um, actually published um, uh, yeah, a sample law, let's say, that was met with a lot of criticism for, from all sides. Um, and we don't see um, really how this how this problem can be solved in the near future, except for these very shortcut laws uh, that I already mentioned with the Alpine uh, PV. Um, there's also similar a similar proposal for the wind power plants and the hydropower plants that are being stuck in the permitted processes that these 
should be allowed in a very fast way um, in, in, in the short term future. But Switzerland has specific goals on the deployment of solar, on the deployment of onshore wind, on the like this, this is all in place. It's just that the, um, the, the permitting processes are really not up to speed. Well, the, the in goals, order to, sorry, yeah, don't no, go for it. The goals are for renewable energy in general, and the current goals are very, very low. So they can easily be met with solar PV without doing anything. Um, however, um, within the revisions uh, that also revised the financial support for um, renewable for solar PV, for example, um, there's also um, a revision of the goal um, going on. And the goal that will probably make it through the parliament is actually quite high and will require uh, quite some solar PV deployment assisted by some other um, technologies. Wind is, has never been very big in Switzerland, will also not play a major role, but will surely play a role in the future. Yeah, and I think the big the big shift that's going to happen is that the current goals of the of the it's called Energy Strategy 2050 um, are. Basically, I mean, Switzerland has reached its goals, and has also like been quite um, vocal about this. Um, but as Leo said, they were very low, and it was basically possible to reach them with rooftop PV, um, which Switzerland has done um, mainly for self-consumption, um, as Leo has explained. And but the the thing is, with the revised goals, that my um, my assessment would be that it's not possible to reach it. I mean, theoretically, it's possible to reach it with rooftop solar because okay, there's a lot of roofs, but practically, it will not be possible. So practically, this will mean that we will need some sort of utility scale PV, um, and that will then, on the other hand, like give these efforts of actually enabling um, or allowing you know these and and making regulation um, um, you know. Um, in accordance with that, um, will we'll actually, you know, help these efforts politically as well. Um, and a, a final remark is also um, perhaps telling um, to to countries such as Switzerland is um, there is quite a bit of um, potential um, on for for agri photovoltaics as well. So for photovoltaics or PVs um, on you know agriculture lands. Um, now um, Switzerland has introduced a regulation that stipulated that this is only allowed if it increases agriculture returns. Now, where is that going to happen? <laughs> it's going to happen on like super select cases of like, I think it's like, I Lines, think it's um, raspberry, raspberry and, and, and perhaps, potato maybe. Mm, I'm not, <laughs> not sure even. about potatoes because it's like, it's only, it's only stuff that basically grows better if it has a bit of shade. Right. Um, and, and so, I mean, this is, and it's just like, again, it's another regulation that just like very deliberately, um, impedes the transition um and this i think so, these, these like, things will be happen? it, it yeah. happens because because the political debate goes that we we have limited land and we need land to produce food because this is going to give switzerland independence um so that's still the discourse that basically originates from the second um world war um i mean like in inherently um and and it doesn't i mean and some of that is not so it's not so wrong because a lot of farmers would of course then probably stop farming because they could make more money by putting pv plants on their farmland so of course there is a bit of a trade-off here but it's just it's just like these these i think maybe to make a broader point if you look at policies for energy and climate transitions um it's it's that many of those 
of, of the barriers are, are, are quite well hidden, right? <laughs> and so the, in principle, you could say, okay, like, I mean, why not? We, we prefer to do agriculture on agricultural lands. Okay, like, I don't, I don't disagree with the principle, but effectively, you're just basically banning all PV on agriculture lands. Um, and so I think if you're analyzing policy landscapes, it's very important to look at these policies that are not, you know, purely here is a ban on something or here's something made impossible, but it's kind of through another prioritization that this happens, um, which, which is, I think, which is tremendously important if we want to scale up and accelerate the transition. I think that's a very important point, Florian. Um, and it's the question is then how to overcome these. And it's so easy to put these kind of implicit barriers into, into policy as, as well. Um, and I think that maybe some, some lobby groups um, that have very particular interests are um, this is probably their preferred way of doing it, or sure, like at least sure. uh, at least um, asking for these kind of changes. It's not that lobby groups can do this by themselves. Obviously, they need you know it's always the, the policymakers in the end. But um, that's what they push for. I could see that they push for that. So we've got two more points, and I think the first point, um, which is low turnover in the building sector, is a, is, a, is a point that is very normal in many central, maybe also all European countries, I suppose. Because uh, so it's just. Maybe, maybe Leo, give it, give, give us a short one on that one, and then we we'll go to the fourth one, which is a lack of skilled, uh, skilled workers. Well, I can just put them together, so like because I guess they're everywhere the same. So we have um, a building park that is quite old, and that is not being renewed very often, I'd say. Which is not in general not a bad thing, is it? Like you don't yeah. want to get From if you can't, if you can't to be honest, if you can't gray emissions, it's not so yeah. bad. No, it's it's not bad, but this means that um, it's it's newer buildings meet better efficiency standards. So newer buildings need less heating. Um, they they there is regulation that you that you have to produce electricity. Um, with new buildings um well on the building usually done with solar pv and and this stuff and this is not being done with the existing building park and it's also hard to touch the existing building park with regulation or or, or such but but um, part of that discourse is actually is actually really a bit strange right because because i want to like see the thorough calculation of gray emissions on like how like what share of those renovations actually make sense in terms of energy because of course in terms of energy use they all make sense right like you would have you would prefer the highest turnover rate ever but in terms of gray emissions i think it's not it's not that clear cut but anyway yeah side remark and more generally for other countries as well i think it is clear that adding some layers of insulation actually um after a very few years it they are already makes make sense um, anyways, or I windows don't go, and stuff, yes. Yeah, I don't want to go into detail here. And then um, the fourth point, and I actually have a fifth point, which, sorry, uh, which is actually <laughs> quite that important. One in. Yeah, um, <laughs> is a lack of. So the fourth point is a lack of skilled workers and shortages in material. I guess that's a thing um, a little bit, bit every, everywhere. So we have we don't have enough people that can actually install solar PV in, um, panels on roofs. Um, we don't have enough chips. Um, to to for the inverters that are needed to, to produce electricity from solar PV on roofs and things going on. Some um, of these effects uh, originate from the, the pandemic. Um, some others from stop and go um, deployment of solar PV in the past. Um, but there's actually there's stuff being done. Um, there's an apprenticeship being built up so that people can become 
they've called them solar TERS, so inst installators of solar PV installations. Um, yeah, the fifth point, which is actually much more important, which you didn't know about because I didn't tell you um, before <laughs> recording, is um, the power or the lack of a power agreement with the EU. So Florian has already mentioned that we're in the middle of um, the continent, but we don't really have good political ties at the moment with the EU, um, which means that we have a fully a negotiated power agreement somewhere in a drawer, which doesn't come into effect. And um, what the problems are um, when not having such a power agreement is that we are um, starting in 2025 or six, we will not be able to um, use the same import capacity um, from, from neighboring countries into Switzerland. So imports are... Um, becoming onshore in the in the midterm future, mid to long term future, um, which obviously is a problem for security of supply, especially in the winter again. So um, maybe you also have to see these short term measures that are taken for next or the, the win coming winter or the next or the next. Um, they are also you have to see them also in this bigger picture that actually mid term supply in the winter will actually not be entirely secure too that's quite an interesting topic um, because you know as you said switzerland is in the middle of europe but yet not part of the european union and it's you know you mentioned also some of these points of like yeah, we have to be independent and we talked about potatoes and raspberries <laughs> um, you should but, actually but, do an entire new podcast uh, episode on <laughs> on swiss eu uh, <laughs> relations yeah when it comes to the energy they're not yeah. they're not really good at the moment to be honest yeah i i hear it's a thorny us. topic yeah i hear it's a thorny topic <laughs> Um, which is was challenging. That's for sure. Um, one maybe one one word. Why? why what? What are the arguments from from uh, Swiss policymakers to let these relationships with the EU cool down while Switzerland is completely surrounded by EU members? That's Austria, Germany, France, Italy. So isn't it? So like a Liechtenstein, you forgot, but um, yeah. yeah, Liechtenstein is not part of the EU, though. Um, so, so, so maybe just one, one more, one sentence. Like, why is that? Is that? I don't want to call. Is it the Europeans' fault or is it the Swiss' fault? But like, what are the what are the topics that 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 are being discussed and where people are not agreeing very well? I mean, that's a huge. That's really a huge topic. Um, but but I mean, the the broad thing is that Switzerland and the European Union have had bilateral agreements. Um, in, in basically two episodes and the European Union's point of view after that was that um, we need an institutional framework agreement that governs all these sectoral treaties. So we had sectoral treaties on things like transport or agriculture, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the, the, the three disagreeing, disagreeing points are um, um, salary protection. So the left-wing parties in Switzerland want um, more salary protection than the, um, than the European Union offers, um, particularly for regions that are close to the border. Um, the right-wing parties um, want less um, social benefits for um, EU um, um, EU citizens that that come live and work in Switzerland or before they work basically come live in Switzerland. Um, and the third point is about who will resolve um, um, you know disagreements. Um, will there be a court? And the European Union says um, whatever concerns EU law will be handled um, by EU courts um, eventually. And that um, is 
quite broadly um, rejected in Switzerland. And so you have kind of across the political spectrum, very little buy-in for this. And that's why um, this is a super shortcut explanation now, but that's why um, the electricity um, agreement with the European Union is also still in the drawer and not, in, not has not come into effect because the European Union basically says without such a framework agreement, we will not have any more sectoral um, agreements come into effect. Sounds like a like a thorny topic as well, and and I guess very understandable from both from all sides. But the question is, okay, where will they find a com find a common ground? Um, but let's not get too deep into that. Let's so let's come to the last points now, uh, Leonora and uh, Florian. Can you give us? Can you give me and the audience maybe uh, um, like? Now we are at wish you whatever you want to have. So what do you think needs to happen in the next five, 10, maybe even 20 years so that we can actually, yeah, accelerate the energy transition in Switzerland? Like what do you, from your perspective, what is really needed? What are the key points? Maybe each of, the, each, each of you can choose three points. What are the key three points that need to happen in order to accelerate the energy transition in Switzerland? Who goes first? Florian goes first. <laughs> Okay, I can go first. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be um, a few points that we haven't talked about so extensively, um, because I think to be honest, a lot of a lot of the effect of um, uh, what we do in Switzerland um, on the world plays through multiplicators and not necessarily through the oil heatings in Glarus or the um, or the rooftop PV um, in in Basel. Um, so I think that the first thing is that. Um, um, Companies based in Switzerland um, have an estimated um, emission imprint of about two to three percent globally um, in their through their supply chain. So whatever basically Switzerland does in terms of regulation that governs how companies basically source um, electricity. Um, globally has a huge impact. Um, and so I think that's one of the key levers. The second key lever is um, the Swiss financial sector. So um, in the beginning of this of this episode, Leo, Leo has said that um, Switzerland has about emissions that are twice as high if you count consumption compared to production. If you look at the assets that um, Swiss money or money based out of Switzerland is invested in, um, these assets cause about six times the, the territorial emissions of Switzerland. So whatever regulation Switzerland manages to implement for a financial industry to invest differently, to stop investing in um, coal extraction in the whole coal industry, in oil and gas, which is much more trickier, upstream you know, um, development of, of oil and gas field, et cetera, et cetera, that has a huge effect on the global energy transition. Um, so I think those are the two levers that I think Switzerland has globally um, and then I think finally in in the last one would be um, I think or I would wish at least that that Switzerland you know takes back this electricity pioneer role um, and basically shows for a very very wealthy uh, very um, you know post-industrial um, country in the middle of Europe how you can organize an industry um, and an economy and society with completely, you know, electrified and completely um, fossil fuel, fossil free electricity. And that will come along with a massive build out of solar PV, I think. Wind will be tricky. Hydro um, has limited potential and um, we've talked about that. So I think it will come with a massive build out of solar PV and with, you know, a build out of associated industries to to or processes to decarbonize whatever is left of industry in Switzerland. So um, I think that that is massive build out of PV um, with industry decarbonization and potentially even, you know, carbon capture at the few industrial sites that we still have to basically be a showcase of how can we organize um, an economy in a, in a carbon neutral way. Um, and 
and I think you know we can afford it, and we could try to set this example. And I I wish that you know we we actually embarked on this on this trajectory, and I think it's become more likely since um, since this summer, um, where quite a few policy changes that we've talked about have been implemented that actually go this way. Thank you for that, Florian. Now goes to you, Leo. What do you have to add? So my my wishes would be um, for more um, innovations, um, more innovative policies, more innovative financial um, structures also um, in order for um, everyone to be able to participate in the energy transition, um, first of all. Second of all, I want people who like Swiss people claim that they're innovative. I want people to actually be innovative and realize that they can profit from um, reducing their fossil fuel um, energy use, that they can profit financially, um, but also in other ways, um, but also to just take this step, which might be um, a, a courageous step, but that people realize um, that their lives are not necessarily uh, worse but maybe different um, in a fossil-free uh, Swiss landscape. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Because as we said, so in the policy landscape, a lot, especially on the national level, a lot is happening. On the cantonal level, we expect some things happening in the future. Um, probably, or my wish is also that uh, what the EU um would like to do that this is actually being done because a lot of what EU does um, spills into Switzerland. So I guess, uh, uh, for example, the ban of fossil fueled cars in 2035 will actually have a big effect on Swiss car sales as well. Um, so even though we want to be independent from the EU, we are not. Um, and this is, in this case, a very good thing. Cool. Thanks, Florian. Thanks, Leonora, for, for acting on these. Uh, yeah, for just joining me for this episode. There's a lot of things that we could have probably also gone further into. Florian just mentioned CCS. We didn't talk about CCS at all. Um, Leonora, listening to you, we could also talk about, okay, just transitioning. How can we actually, you know, how do we get households on board to do, like, to to to, to accelerate the decarbonization of every, every building itself? I guess these kind of episodes will never go as deep as we could go, but still, uh, I, I think we gave a really... A, we gave an idea of how the energy uh, sector is structured and how, what what it takes maybe to accelerate the energy transition in Switzerland. So thanks for the two of thanks to the two of you for joining me today and on all the best. And can people yeah can people reach you on LinkedIn or where are you reachable if they are interested to reach out? Sure, LinkedIn or um, online. I even have a website now, which is florianegli.com. <laughs> I'll put it and into it the spins show magically. So <laughs> like Amazing. like a wind turbine. <laughs> LinkedIn, Twitter, email. It's fine. Good no shirt. All right, for me. personal website. <laughs> That's okay too. Okay, thanks for you guys joining us. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye.